I don't know. It just tastes like... I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe. It's kind of like a... It's like a Mountain Dew slushy, but without the slush. back to Coast to Coast Sports, the only show for the fans, by the fans. I'm Michael Fumafredo, and today I got a little one-shot with me on this set. That's right, today's promotion was steal a base, steal a taco from the great, good old Taco Bell. And big shout out to Mookie Betts for uh, letting us enjoy these free Doritos Locos tacos as he stole a base in game one of the World Series. But that, one, that World Series is over now as the Dodgers won the game last night, ending their 32-year title drought and defeating the Tampa Bay Rays in six games. What a series, let me tell you. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Corey Seager is your finals MVP and some not-so-good COVID news coming out of the baseball bubble as the series concluded last night. We also had a very good weekend in the NFL, and when I say that 1 o'clock to 4.30 window was unbelievable, it truly was one of the best games I've ever seen. Seven one-score games in total, even six during that time frame, and the Seahawks game that went into overtime, which uh, from my perspective, everyone but Tyler Lockett on the Seahawks should have gotten tarmacked after that game. If you don't know what tarmacked means, it's when the USC Trojans fired Lane Kiffin on the tarmac of the airport before flying back home to Southern California. Their games are starting up soon, but going back to the NFL, seven one-score games, six decided by a field goal or less. The only one that wasn't was, of course, the New York Jets, who lost by eight to the Buffalo Bills. The Bills didn't even score a field goal, and... The Jets still found a way to lose. But other than that, college football almost started up. USC and the Pac-12 kicking off two weekends from now. Uh, the the uh, Big Ten started up again. And first off, we got to talk about that Penn State game. Where was he down? I'm going to ask you guys that. I personally think the guy in Indiana scored. And they deserve to win that game. And... Penn State crushing my dreams once again. I was supposed to go out there to visit one of my friends for the weekend, and that whole thing just fell through. They're bringing state troopers there for the next game. You guys couldn't have partied a little less, you know? Maybe maybe give it one more week. You got the Ohio State game, whatever. But the most disappointing moment from this week's college football, I'll show it to you while I eat my taco. From 45 yards, the kick is up. It is off the upright and out. It hit the upright twice, then the crossbar and stayed out. Stunning. For my Chicago Bears fans out there, that would be called the triple doink. 
as you uh, are all too familiar with. I, I don't think I've ever seen the ball hit all three posts. This is uh, <laughs> this is unbelievable. Quadruple doink. Pardon me. Well, I didn't see you there. Well, that was heartbreaking. The quadruple doink kind of just killed all momentum in that game. Rice ended up losing that game to Middle Tennessee State, 40-34. to And, yeah, just another thing, sign of things to come this, week, this season in college football. Let's go back to baseball for a little bit, just real quick. Dodgers-Rays game, th- game six. Dodgers win. Three to one. It's their first World Series title in 32 years. Well, let's just talk about the MVP ceremony for a little bit. First off, Rob Manfred could be talking about, could be telling my life story, and I think I'd be passed out asleep of boredom in 30 seconds. That man, when he talks, it's like this, and. He announced that Corey Seager was the finals MVP. Yeah, I, I was mind I was mind blown at first. I really thought that was Mookie Betts award to win. The way he played, just home runs and big moments, including last night, won the iced the game with that shot in the eighth inning. And just overall great play. I feel like I've heard his name a lot when Talking about big plays, and I maybe turn around and watch something else. Maybe go on my phone for some TikToks during the game, and then you hear Mookie Betts does something. I, I just didn't hear that from Corey Seager, but he did put up some great stats: uh, 400 batting average, which is unbelievable. Two home runs and five RBIs. He didn't have a hit in Game Six, but he did bat in a RBI, which I after I found that out, I was kind of. A little more sold on him, but I did think Mookie Betts had a very fair shot to win that award and just couldn't get it done. But they 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 won the championship, so there's nothing really to be sad about. But in terms of uh, the uh, the rest of the game, it, when watching the World Series, I was like, wow, these guys are really good on offense. I mean... 8-3 first game, 8-6 game four, which had a crazy ending. If you didn't see that, go check that out. And this one, 3-1. to one. So what happened in that? It's, it came down to the pitching. First of all, 27 combined strikeouts, 16 in favor of Tampa Bay, and 11 for the L.A. Dodgers. Blake Snell had nine of those strikeouts. And then... Julio Urias, who we'll get into him in a minute, actually had four. So what went wrong for the for the Rays? Why? How do you strike out 16 people and then lose the game? And that's where the bullpen really came into play. I thought it was the bad, very bad decision when you got a guy like Blake Snell coming in, pitched 5.1 innings, uh, and then they just pulled him. He threw a wild pitch, got someone on base, and then they brought in Nick Anderson, who gave up that run and then an RBI on the next play. So I just didn't see the logic there. It's the last game of the season, mind you, or the last game of the season at least Blake Snell was going to pitch in. So why not bring him through till like the sixth or the seventh inning? It's just that's what really 
I thought that's where they lost the game. And then Peter Fairbanks, they were cycling through pitchers really quickly. They let him pitch um, over one inning, and he ended up giving up a home run to Mookie Betts. So that's where they lost it. Going back to the Dodgers side, though, they really won that game with the bullpen because when they went up 2-1 to one and then 3-1, to one, the bullpen didn't let up. They just helped them out, get through the game. Julio Urias, though. I thought he was the MVP of last night's game in terms of pitching. 2.1 run, two and one third innings as a closer. You had four strikeouts. 19 of your 27 pitches were strikeouts. And out of the seven batters he faced, none of them got on base. That's, cl- that's clutch to me if you really think about it. Seven batters, seven outs. That's simple. Four of those being strikeouts. But you got to give credit to the rest of the guys on that team. Clayton Kershaw pitched some good games. Everyone else on that pitching staff. And then the offense, too. But moving forward, the most demoralizing story just put basically any restriction possible on an unbelievable title celebration for the Dodgers was that in the seventh inning, they randomly pulled Justin Turner. And everyone was like, oh, what happened to Justin Turner? Like, he's one of their best players. He needs to be on the field. It's the end of the World Series. Gone. We found out that he tested positive for COVID in the middle of the game. Which, that's just weird to me, don't you think? You're in a bubble for so long. You've been playing games nonstop. And you come down with COVID. And then your team knows about it, but they don't take you out. They found out in the second inning they didn't take him out till the fifth. It's... It was interesting, and you'd think that all like the title celebrations would be off. They'd all just go back home, have to quarantine. No, nope, their wives were on the field. There's a picture of Justin T- Turner kissing his wife after the game. There's pictures of all of them hugging each other, and that's just a bad look for the MLB, the public relations. That's what everyone was talking about after the game out in L.A. My friends out there were kind of like, well, yeah, we won, but that's not good type of situation so moving forward we'll have to see what precautions they take now if the Dodgers have to quarantine if anyone else tests positive if the Rays test positive eh, that's a whole big thing but all you have to know Dodgers World Series champions 2020 they should be back next year the Rays should be back next year and then there's a lot of other teams in contention but that season hopefully they'll get their start in February March when their season should have started this year. Moving on now to some college football. And I, I can't express my excitement for USC football coming back. They looked phenomenal last season with a freshman quarterback in Keaton Slovis. They only lost a few guys on the roster, but they had a lot of guys coming up and ready to fill those spots. You lost Pittman. You bring in Brew McCoy. Amon Ross St. Brown is still there. Tyler Vaughns is still there. Great running back room. Defense looks a lot better than they did last year. And the Pac-12 just looks a lot weaker. Now you hit with COVID. They shorten schedule. Don't have to play Oregon. We'll see what's going to happen now. But obviously four teams make the college football playoff every year. We got a few guys that we know are going to be there already unless something crazy happens. But I just wanted to break it down because every year it seems like the Pac-12 is left out. And coming from the Pac-12 school now, it's, I kind of want to see a team make it, you know? Like, I thought Oregon would have it last year. They couldn't finish strong. That, that loss to Auburn in week one really hurt them. But 
I'm just going to make the case and explain how every Power 5 conference can get a player into, or a team into the college football playoffs this year. Starting with the Pac, the SEC and ACC, just because we know Alabama's in and we know Clemson's in. They're already good, no, no, nothing else said. Let's, we, we, don't, we can move on from them. But you know, we're not going to do that because... There's, a, there's two other teams now in those divisions that are looking like they can make a spot, like make a case to have a spot. We got number four Notre Dame now playing in the ACC this season because of the COVID restrictions. And Georgia, who's been there before. They made it to the championship a few years back, but lost to their conference rival Alabama. And both of those teams look like they're in great position with a few other teams losing. The Pac-12 still not even starting up yet. So let's just see what's going to happen there. But I think it'll be a very tough road for both of these teams. Let's start with Notre Dame just because their road, I feel like, is a lot tougher. Now, here's the Pac-12. On, on the left side, you'll see the uh, Pac-12, the ACC rankings right now in terms of standings. Clemson at one, Notre Dame at two. They're the only two undefeateds. Then you got Miami, North Carolina. They're at four and one. Now on the right, you got Notre Dame's upcoming schedule. You see, they played, they played Duke, they played Flo USF, they played Wake Forest, they played Florida State, they played Louisville, Pittsburgh last week. Now you got Georgia Tech this week. That should be a win for them. But then you got on November seventh, and that's a primetime game, folks. You got Clemson. The, the clear-cut number one team shouldn't have any problems making it. They're, they're the best team in college football right now with Trevor Lawrence, who hopefully is a future Jet. But you never know. We'll have, that's just time for a different story. But my big concern is, let's look at that once more, they haven't played a top 25 team yet. And right now they only got two on the schedule, but... Clemson's number one, so how can you go from playing some of the best teams in college football, or some of the worst teams in college football, to playing number one Clemson? I mean, they are number four, but that's always a concern. And if, say they lose that game, this is where the concern really kicks in. They're going to be four, they're going to be five and one? Yeah, five and one. They'll be five and one. Maybe Miami and North Carolina continue to win. They'll also be five and one. And then you got a three-way tie, so the chances of Notre Dame making it depend on if they either lose this game or they lose this game and have to win and upset Clemson in the in the ACC championship, or they win both of those games and they're in without a doubt. Maybe Clemson even falls out because a two-loss team has never made the college football playoff. So that's my concern. But if they do lose this game and they're in a tie. I'm concerned that Miami might actually win out as well, and then there might not be room for. They might make the college football or the ACC championship instead of Notre Dame, and that just diminishes all their hopes. Moving on to Georgia, they're in an even worse spot because they already had their one loss on the year, and they have to win out, including the SEC championship, against the team that beat them two weeks ago in Alabama. So it, it's basically the same situation, but for Georgia, their, their conference is split up by division, so they're only going to really have to face Florida and then 
Alabama once again in the college football in the SEC championship. I keep saying the college football championship, but we're not even there yet. So, SEC championship game looks like it's going to be Georgia Alabama again. Alabama already beat them pretty convincingly. So that's going to be the roads for those two teams. Kind of hopeless, if you ask me. Moving on now to the other divisions. The Big 12 kicked off this weekend, and we talked a lot about the. We talked a lot about that Penn State game before, if it, the guy was in or not. But this is really Ohio State's division to lose. They're basically another team that's locked in, regar disregarding like catastrophe on their end. But they shouldn't win the conference championship. They look phenomenal with Justin Fields. I think he's he's definitely top two. There's a case he's even better than Trevor Lawrence in a college system. And their competitors in the Pac-12 in the Big Ten already had their one loss on the year, which is Penn State, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska. They all lost. They still have to face Michigan, Wisconsin, but that shouldn't that hasn't been an issue for them in years past. So Big 12, Big 10 either gets Ohio State in or doesn't get anyone in. It's that simple. And, yeah, obviously they're playing Penn State this weekend. I was supposed to be there, but things happen, you know. We'll just have to watch it on TV like the rest of, every, the, rest of the people. And moving on now to second to last division, we got the Big 12. And, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, yeah, we got, they're the number one, they're usually the number one team, you know. Kyler Murray was there. Baker Mayfield was there. Oh wait, they have two losses. Uh, all right, they're they're done. What, what about Texas? I mean, they're they're usually good, right? Two thousand five, they won the championship. Two losses. Baylor, two losses. West Virginia, two losses. So who's there? Uh, there there's two teams that are currently undefeated in the Big Twelve right now. You got. Oklahoma State Cowboys. Let's be real; they're they're in the top they're in the top twenty five almost every year, but nothing special. They're usually like bottom of the pack. And then Kansas State, who's shocking everybody, they shocked Oklahoma with their first loss of the year. But they're also four and one. They lost to Arkansas State. So when I'm thinking of teams that are going to make the the college football playoff, I'm not thinking someone who lost to Arkansas State is really in contention for that. So it basically comes down to Oklahoma State. They're the last hope for the Big 12. And they ha they kind of have to go undefeated just because the teams they're going to play aren't undefeated and they're not Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. That's their case. They have to win out. They have to win the Big 12 championship. But the question is, can they? I mean, you look at their opponents right now. You, you have to play Oklahoma, who's still a very good football team. Just because they have two losses doesn't mean they stink. And then they have to play Kansas State the week before, who's they're currently ranked 16. And both of those games are on the road. So that's going to make it extremely tough for a division that they are having some fans at the game. I mean, we're not really... They're, they're, it's in Texas. They've... Texas, Oklahoma, they've started to lift restrictions. I know my friends over at Texas Tech are going to the games every weekend. But lastly, I'll talk about the Pac-12, my division. And call me biased if you will, but right now there's two ranked teams who haven't even played a game yet. That's Oregon at 13 and USC at 21. Here, let's, let's even just look at the rankings that I have up here just to show you that I'm not kidding. Yeah, we got... 
actually, Oregon's 14 and USC's 21. So, so I was one off. But let's, they're basically the Pac-12's only hopes to make it. And we knew this coming in. And like Oklahoma's been doing, they've started to... They've actually given their team an easier schedule, so to say, just so they can win out in the seven or eight games that they have to play. Let's look at what you, the Pac-12 gave USC and Oregon. So USC, Arizona State, Arizona, Utah, Colorado. Some good teams out there, but we, they beat all of them last season. And pretty convincingly, I mean, Utah even. That game... The third-string quarterback, Matt Fink, ended up playing, and they still won. And then you got Oregon, who went undefeated in the Pac-12 last season. So, basically, the Pac-12 gave those guys teams that they beat all of last year. So, if history can repeat itself, I know the Utah game should be tough for USC, but they lost half their starters after this. They lost basically all their starters after this year. I think it'll be a cakewalk for either of those teams, and they're on a collision course for that Pac-12 championship. One of them's got to go undefeated and win that in order to get in. And they have to do it so convincingly that a team like, say, Georgia does win. Or, say, yeah, say Georgia does win the SEC championship. Alabama's going to be a one-loss non-champion. But you still got to have Alabama in the college football playoff, right? And you could get rid of Clemson. You could get rid of... Oregon, who just won the Pac-12, which isn't a great division, even though they're seven and zero. Yeah, they got to be very convincing, and they have to they have to make sure they win out, be convincing, and hope for some someone in the Big Twelve to lose. Hope for an Oklahoma State loss, but I don't think that should be something to really worry about. Now, before I get into the some fantasy football. I was trying to do like a top five video, but then I realized there was going to be a lot of copyright issues from the NFL. I tried to get highlights from that Seahawks game. Wouldn't let me download it. So I was scrolling through Instagram just to see about things I could talk about. And I came across some memes, you know, some pictures of sporting events, other things as well. And I just wanted to compile a top five list of some of the best memes that I saw up from the weekend or this past week. Coming in at number five, we have NFL division standings, or the leaders at least, and it's uh, coming from the game Among Us where you're either a crewmate or an imposter. And I think it's pretty obvious who the imposter is in terms of record, who can really make it. This is actually from last week's games, but... Yeah, Dallas is not looking good. I don't even think they're leading the division anymore. Just, yeah, they stink. That entire division kind of stinks. Looking for number four now. Here we go. And, th yeah, this, this one hurts because it is talking about that Seahawks game, but come on. I mean, you can't, you gotta do, you can't do us like that, Jets fans. We're not very happy with our team. We do. We are the worst team in the league. We're looking for someone better, but... Yeah, that Seahawks, the Seahawks in overtime. Let's talk about that for a second. They were awful in those last ten, in those last five minutes of regulation, even. And then you get blessed with a a missed field goal by Zane Gonzalez, who's got a history of missing field goals. Let's talk about his Cleveland days when they went 0-2 to start the year. 
But, yeah, they stunk. The offensive line looked like they had their talent stolen by the Monstars. Shout out to Space Jam, too. That's coming out soon. And then Russell Wilson lost, took all the wind out of his sails. DK Metcalf scores on a 40-yard touch, screen pass touchdown, which would have hit the spread for everybody. Everyone could have been happy to bet the Seahawks. And David Moore has to hold on to some guy that really wasn't even going to make a tackle on DK Metcalf. Let's be realistic. Tyler Lockett had a good game, though. 53 fantasy points. Got me the win, you know. I said I was going to lose on Saturday, but, you know, my team just pulls through. We're just that good. We're built different, if I do say so myself. Number three, speaking of my team, and we'll talk a little bit about this in a second, the Bucks are out here playing on Ultimate Team on Madden 16. Yeah, it's like I saw another one that has something to do with this. It was... Comparing them to the Cavaliers team that won the championship, yeah, they, they, they look at the look at these guys. You got Tom Brady who's already on his last legs, Gronk who came out of retirement, Antonio Brown who just signed with them, and and Damakong Sue is on the team. And let's not even talking about R R Mike Evans who I believe was a rookie back then, but yeah, just a lot of older guys on that team, a veteran squad. I mean. LeBron, who I think is the GOAT in the NBA, did it in Cleveland. I think Tom Brady, who I think is the GOAT in football, can do it in Tampa Bay. M number two, moving on now, SpongeBob reference. Uh, Goskowski in the locker room after the game. <laughs> I, I just love this picture. It's Patrick in front of all the beefy guys. And it, it, it just, the kicker, kind of the sm not as big as like the linemen or the receivers, you know. And yeah, he, he lost them that game. There's nothing else to say. Tannehill came out of nowhere and led the comeback against the Steelers for Tennessee. And Gaskowski with a big miss. He's having some trouble this year, folks, but I think he's on his last legs as well. Should be retiring soon. And at number one, one of the funniest pictures. It's not even a meme. It's just a picture. Uh, Giants fans, I'm sorry to do it to you. <laughs> Oh, I want to play, put that up again. That's just too funny. <laughs> you know, it, it, it reminds me of a funny picture, that, or a picture from the Giants organization. Uh, yeah, remember this one? Yeah, we got, we, we got uh, the yin and yang of Giants football. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Daniel Jones. You could maybe even throw in a, an Evan Ingram reference there, and that's just, that, that game was bad for them. You know, they're, they're, if the Jets stink and... Saying this as a Jets fan, we do stink. I think the Giants are worse. But anyway, those are just some funny pictures I saw over the weekend. Thought it would be fun to share. And moving on to a segment I like to call Moving On, which is I'm going to I've been killing it in fantasy recently. Let me just say if you've been watching my show, I called the Robert Tanyan one going off. I called. Last week, I think five out of my six guys that I said were going to score higher or lower, it actually happened. I had one more, but... Oh, yeah, Justin Herbert was out there. He he put up almost 40 points for me this weekend. Yeah, it's just been, I've just been killing it, you know? So I thought I'd dedicate a segment every week to fantasy or do what I can just to help out you guys because I know I'm in a league with most of the guys that are watching this, so I, I, I figured I'll be nice, you know? I'll help you out. And in, I got a bunch of my friends, my cousins, my brother, 
all these people are like, Mike, I need help with my lineup. I don't know who to play. It's like, well, listen to the show. Maybe I'll help you out. But for this segment, we're getting almost halfway through the season. It's, we're like five weeks away from the playoffs. It's crazy for, in fantasy. But I think you, had, you drafted some guys with the hopes that they'd be a star. Maybe some guys are playing really well. But it, I, I don't think it'll continue. And then it's just, there, there's some good guys I have on this list. I think three out of the four are, in, are currently in the top five of their position, or two of them. But, yeah, I'm going to give you one guy at each position that I think you should move on from in terms of fantasy. Maybe trade them. I don't think you have to drop them. You can probably get a good value out of them. But we'll talk about all that. First up, I'm going to talk about the quarterback. And this one's tough because I'm already going to contradict what I've been saying about getting rid of these people. I don't think you really should get rid of this guy if, unless the market is there for him and, to, and the waiver wire as well. If there's a guy like Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, I wouldn't even consider in this category, but like Justin Herbert's probably the only one. I think you can move off of Josh Allen. Now, he's quarterback number four. So you're saying, well, Mike, why, why would you move off of the top five quarterback because yeah he's playing great but he he he's uh he hasn't put up numbers in his past couple day couple games let's i'm trying to i don't think i have his stats up here but yeah looking at it i was i was shocked to see that in his past three games he didn't he scored less than 20 fantasy points and last week he plays the Jets. That's like a blessing for fantasy owners. It's like, yeah, my guy's playing the Jets. Let's go. He's going to have the best game of his career. He's going to have 40 fantasy points. I thought that last week with, um, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, too. It must, just, it must be something about the Jets, you know. Uh, but he didn't even put up a touchdown. And that's concerning for me. That offense just didn't look like they did the first three weeks of the season. They're currently in a free fall in my power rankings, but yeah, Josh Allen just doesn't, he hasn't, he hasn't wowed me these past few weeks, and if there's a guy that needs a quarterback, maybe that Dak Prescott owner is still looking for the replacement, he's scrambling, he's like, oh, I don't know what to do, maybe trade him Josh Allen, get like a great running back or a great receiver, it's possible, you know, it could be done, I know there's a lot of guys looking for quarterbacks out there, the Cam Newton owner, Maybe you give him Josh Allen and snag a piece that you need. And then, but realistically, it's a tough call to make, especially since there's not going to be a top 10 quarterback on the waiver wire unless Justin Herbert somehow survived the weekend there without getting picked up. Just some more notes on Josh Allen, though. He had no touchdowns during the Jets, seven turnovers in seven games. Fumbling is becoming a big issue for him. He's got four of those on the year. Yeah, like I said, just be smart with him. You can't really, you, can, you shouldn't drop him. You shouldn't just straight up bench him for some random guy. Like, oh, Ben DiNucci's coming in. Nobody has him. Maybe I'll pick him up. He's in the Cowboys, right? Yeah, don't do that. Speaking of the Cowboys, though, and this one's going to shock you. At running back, I think you're done with Ezekiel Elliott. You know, he's the wide receiver three, but I don't want any part of this offense, you know. Zeke hasn't been good since Dak's gone. C.D. Lamb put up a whopping .1 points in a PPR league. I think Amari Cooper still has some value, but not when, no, when Ben DiNucci is throwing him the football. And then Michael Gallup's just Michael Gallup and Dalton Schultz, too. I think 
you can bench all of them, trade some of them, drop some of them. But yeah, Zeke's one of those headliner guys because he was a top five pick. And I think there's a team out there in your league that's desperate for running backs. And let me tell you, if you have Ezekiel Elliott, you give him the price he cannot afford to drop, to, to say no to. I mean, it, it, just name value alone. Maybe this guy doesn't know fantasy football. Maybe he's living in the past. But Zeke hasn't been the same this year. Last week, he had tw- two weeks ago, he had 12 points and then six points this week. And that just shows how much he's done. He's still the, court, the running back three, so that just shows how much he's dropped off since Dak Prescott went down. But he's had a little bit of butterfingers, you know. Four, fum- four lost fumbles this year. Every time I look at the TV on red zone, it's a Cowboys turnover. He's involved in dropping a pass, ball coming out, and he picks it up. But I think his value is still extremely high right now. You can convince someone and say, oh, well, yeah, he's going to get touches because they don't have a quarterback. Yeah, I don't think that's going to help him because the, the offensive line's not there anymore and they, they just can't move the football. So there's not going to be that many touches to even have. And now speaking of touches, see, I'm getting better with the segues, you know, I'm trying to figure out ways to make it sound less awkward when I'm moving on between segments. But I think you got to drop Mike Evans, and that goes back to our other picture, this is a new one I got of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You got, obviously, Brady's at the lead, the helm right now. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, those guys were there. They picked up they picked up Antonio Brown. They still got Gronk. They still got Ronald Jones. That's not even mentioning Scotty Miller, who's popped off this year. He's really emerging as a guy. Cameron Brait, who I think he can be a red zone threat if, if Gronk goes down. You got... Leonard Fournette, who's starting to come into the offense again, and then LaShawn McCoy's even there. So, yeah, there's just so many mouths to feed. I'm going to say this, and not because I have Godwin on my team, but I think he's going to be fine. I mean, he's he's such a unique player that he'll get his touches. He's actually hurt this week, but I think he'll get his touches. They can use him in certain scenarios better than they can Mike Evans, who's just a big guy he can throw the ball up to. I think Antonio Brown really hurts that value that Mike Evans has. I think Gronk's starting to emerge. And Mike Evans really hasn't been all the best player for the team right now. He's wide receiver 21 in fantasy. And, yeah, he's only a start if someone gets hurt, honestly, and that's in the wide receiver room, like Chris Godwin this week. So I think you start. you might have to start Mike Evans this week and then – he has a big week. You go, hey, anyone need a wide receiver? I'll trade you Mike Evans. So, yeah, that, that's just Mike Evans right there. He hasn't. He had 5.7 last week. I think there's a lot going to happen similar to that. And he's a guy that we've seen in the past. He'll get, have a week where he scores 25 points, two touchdowns, and then the next week he'll finish with three. So that's just Mike Evans. I think we'll see the latter more often in the rest of the season, and Antonio Brown may be worth a pickup. I'm sure he's gone already if somebody got really happy when they saw Antonio Brown. They were like, oh, Antonio Brown got signed. Let's, uh, let's sign him. Let's pick him up, put him on the team. Hopefully he's like he was in 2016. But anyway, for the last one, I got my tight end spot, and 
I actually made a mistake on my end. I was going to talk about Jonu Smith, who combined for 4.2 points in the last two games, but then I got graphics for Tyler Higby, who he's another he's a guy I drafted and was starting to think he was going to have what he did last season at the very end when he was scoring like 20 points a week, two touchdowns. But I, I pulled up his stats and I compared them to Gerald Everett in terms of in the fantasy perspective. So Tyler Higby, the guy that most of you drafted, number one tight end, six straight weeks with like 20-plus points at the end of the season. I thought he was going to be a stud this year. He had that one game in week two where he had 28 points. And you're like, oh, it, it, it's true. He's going to be a stud. And he got eight, five, three, two, eight, and then he didn't play last week. So you, it just it kept, keeps getting worse. Then on the other side, you got the second-string tight end for the – for the Rams, and that's Gerald Everett, who, yeah, he, he wasn't good the first two weeks, but then he's just getting better and better and better. And then in Tyler Higby's absence, 12.8. Forget if he scored a touchdown or not. I think he, he, he might have scored a touchdown. But, yeah, even looking at the receptions, like Higby's around that four to five every week. So is Gerald Everett, but I think Gerald Everett's starting to do more with what he's got. So I think you can drop Tyler Higby. Maybe there's some guys on the waiver wire. I know Hayden Hurst might be available. Maybe. I know I dropped him after two weeks ago out of frustration of how he was playing. Gerald Everett's a guy I would consider picking up. I think he's starting to take over that Higby role, maybe jumping him and getting more snaps. And then Mike Gesicki is always a touchdown threat. Adam Shaheen as well on the Dolphins. And... Yeah, just to mention Jonu Smith real quick, because I, I thought I was going to talk about him. He is tight end five, but A.J. Brown came back. He looks like the go-to guy with targets. In the red zone, Derrick Henry's there, so I think he's getting most of the touches. And I would use Jonu Smith to your advantage right now, because he's obviously a top, he's a top five tight end right now. Maybe someone needs a tight end on a bye week. So you trade him Johnny Smith, maybe get a running back or receiver that could play in your flex. Maybe he's on your friend's bench and you really like him, you think he's going to go off, and you, you can pick him up. So anyway, that's going to do it for me. Just a couple other notes, and I am hoping and praying that tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football, Carolina Panthers versus Arizona Falcons, that we see number 22 on the field, Christian McCaffrey. There's say I'm hearing mixed reports. Is he coming back? I don't know. He's practicing. They plan to take him off IR. But the big thing that Matt Rule said is when Christian McCaffrey hears he's okay, he's gonna play. Anyway, the NFL draft, the NBA draft is slowly approaching. We talked about that on Saturday. And just just remember, if you're not listening to us on Saturdays, we're on Spotify. It's a pretty fun time. I have my, some of my best friends come on. They don't know what they're talking about, but I talk about their favorite teams. I know Brandon went on a rant about the Giants last week. So if you're not watching it, you're missing out. Check that out. We'll be back on Friday. We'll be back on Saturday with, I don't know, we'll figure it out. But the NBA draft slowly coming up. I think we'll, we'll start to talk about that in the upcoming weeks. And until Saturday, have a happy, happy Halloween. I'm Michael Fumafredo from Coast to Coast Sports, the only show for the fans, by the fans. Have a great week. See you Saturday.